We're thankful for another wonderful Lord's Day and our opportunity and privilege to be able to assemble together to worship God, praise His name. Thank you, Brother Don, for leading that song for us today. I want that will be a good lead-in for our lesson this morning. Sylvia and I were in Texas this past week to get to visit with our family for a little while, and it's the first time we've been out there in a while. We always love going to Texas, but I sure miss the hills of Tennessee. It's good to fly back in and see the mountains and the trees, and we're glad to be back home, and we know that things will continue to go well for us. Everybody in here, open your Bibles in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. We're going to, most of the scripture this morning, most of the lesson will be from directly from the scripture of Hebrews. Every verse will be in Hebrews. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, Hebrews is uh, the first preference. We'll be looking at it on page number 200 in the New Testament. We have hope. We've sung that song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. I want that to sink into our hearts and minds today and be the guide and rule of our lives. We hope for things all the time, don't we? If we're going on a vacation, we hope for good weather. If, we hope, if we're uh, getting ready to go to the grocery store or go spend a lot of money, we hope that we've got enough money in the bank to cover what we're check we're going to write. We keep on hoping for good things all the time. And that's normal, that's right, and that's human. But I want us to move our minds above that today to spiritual eternal things. The hope of eternity. And all our hope is based on, based on Jesus Christ. He is the solid rock on which we stand. And I want us to think about that today and strengthen our hearts and minds so that every day that we live in hope, our strength is made stronger. Our faith is more strong. Our courage and our decision to follow the will of God is going to be made more strong. That word hope means anticipation, joyfully looking forward to something from a positive standpoint. We hope making plans for the future, everything turns out the way we want them to turn out, don't we? We're going to be looking at many examples of hope in the New Testament this, this evening, this morning, and again, all from the book of Hebrews. First of all, I want to start with the letter H. We'll give three or four examples of each one of these letters, H, O, P, and E. Number one, the letter hope. We have a high priest. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14. And again, all the scriptures will be from the book of Hebrews. Seeing that, then that we have a great high priest that is passed in the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was at all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, in the old Mosaic law, the people would go to confess their sins to the priest. But he was another human just like they. You and I have a high priest superior to that. He is the eternal Son of God who shed His blood for our sins. Verse number 16, Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Life gets difficult and challenging. We all have problems. But we have a high priest that takes our petitions before the Heavenly Father. And ask Him to bless us and give us the resources and strengths that we need to make it through any and every problem and difficulty in our lives. 
How wonderful he, bese- he beseeches God on our behalf. Through the shedding of his blood, we have become his children. Jesus knows me. He knows you. He knows your problems, your difficulties, and challenges. And he also knows when I transgress his will. And from time to time when I do that, I can go before him in prayer and confess those sins and repent of those sins. Knowing that as my high priest, he will forgive me of those sins. His blood washes over those sins so that they're dismissed from God's sight. He removes my sins by his precious blood. Second H, we will hold fast in this world. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 21. Hebrews 10, 21. Having a high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus Christ, as a result of that, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As a result, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We're all going to face challenges and difficulties and problems. Life's not going to always go the way we want it to. But we don't have to give up or give in. We can hold fast to our faith because we know that as long as we're holding to God's unchanging hand, we shall not be moved, we shall not be separated from the will and blessing of God. That's all we can ask for in this life. Oh, that's all we need in this life because of His love for us. And we will not give in to Satan at any cost. The third H. We have hope set before us. Look in chapter 6, verse number 18. 6, 18. Reading from the King James, all these verses are, that by two immutable, that word means unchangeable things. Here they are. One, it is impossible for God to lie. We have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope that is set before us. I can count on God in any situation, anytime, anywhere, because I am His child. He will continue to hold me. He wants me to be successful in everything in life. Oh, there's going to be problems and difficulties in the sin-cursed world. We understand that. But we will not let those get us down because we are know that we have hope of eternity. This life will end at some point in time for each one of us. But because we have that hope before us, we're looking forward for something greater than what we've got now, not worse. We're looking for a place of beauty and perfection and eternity. A place in the, ref- in the sight of God. How wonderful that is that we have that hope be set before us. So we can always do that. God is never going to take us the wrong way. He's going to grasp our hands and hold us and lead us in the way that we need to go. As a result of that in verse number 19, then we can stand on that solid rock. We know what God's going to do. He's going to carry out His will in our lives. And He will give us the strength and resources that we need in every situation. God will not give up on us as long as we do not give up on God. And that's why we can face with peace and contentment anything Satan in this world may cast against us. 
Now let's go to the next letter, O. H-O-P-E. The letter O. Christ was once offered for us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 28. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 28. <clears throat> so Christ was once, one time, offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You see, under the Mosaic law, looking forward to the time of the Christ, the high priest would offer sacrifices for the people every day, blood animal sacrifices on the day of atonement to roll their sins forward another year. God overlooked them for another year until the coming of Jesus Christ. We don't live under the law of Moses anymore. We live under the law of Christ. You see, Christ shed his perfect blood for us one time on Calvary's cross for all the people of all the world who will obey him. That sacrifice was perfect. It was perpetual. When Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross and went all the way back to Adam and Eve partaking of the forbidden fruit. And it goes all the way to the end of the last sin that will ever be committed by anybody in this human race. That's how powerful the blood of Christ is. He is that perfect eternal sacrifice for us. We need to appreciate that every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's not going through the motions of eating a piece of cracker and drinking a bit of grape juice. It's taking my mind back to Calvary. I cannot comprehend the agony, the pain, the suffering, the torture that Jesus suffered in the crucifixion. And he did it for me. He did it for you. He did it for everyone who has ever lived or ever will live. You see, that's why we appreciate that one-time offering. Secondly, Christ taught us the necessity of obedience to his word. Chapter 5, verse number 8. He offered himself for us. Now he has an expectation of us. He uses his own self as example. 5.8 Though he, Jesus Christ, were a son, the son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Christ didn't learn obedience by performing those miracles and doing all those wonderful things and healing all those people. He did those for them. But he went to the cross. He had the power to walk away at any time. But that would not obey the will of God. From eternity, Jesus knew that he would go to the cross and die on that cross for our sins, shedding his blood. In other words, the perfect Son of God was willing to do whatever God commanded him to do. That including giving his life for me and for you. In response to that, Bill, what are you going to do with God's commands? 
I need to pledge that I will command, I will obey every command of God to the very best of my ability. That means sacrificing my life for God. And I'm not talking about being a martyr. That may come someday. I don't know. But you see, while Jesus was on the earth for more than 33 years, he sacrificed himself for God how often? Every day of his life. He did everything according to the will of God. He was perfect. I understand you and I cannot be perfect. But we can look to him as that example of perfection and realize that we will strive our very best to be the most responsive and respective people of God's will in every day of our life. That means that I'm going to have to give up some things. I'm going to be willing to sacrifice myself for God's will all day, every day, just as Jesus did. Let us use that thought to encourage us and strengthen us as we face the difficult challenges of life. No questions, no changes, no additions or subtractions. Let's simply follow the will of God. And talking about the letter O, Christ made us one with Him. Chapter 2, verse 11. Let that sink in. Christ made us one with Him. 2.11 For both He that sanctifieth, that's Jesus, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. This is hard to conceive of. Christ, the perfect Son of God, brought himself down to my level. Frail, finite, weak, and imperfect. Why? Because he wanted me to be one with him so that he could raise me up and lift me up to salvation for my sins through his precious blood. And to strengthen me and encourage me every day that I live to follow in his will. Oh, I know as a human I cannot be perfect. But because I am one with Christ, I will strive with all due diligence every day of my life in every thought I make, every word I say, and every deed I do. To be one with Christ. You see, He is my Savior. He's also my friend. And He's my brother. I have a spiritual, physical, and eternal relationship. Think about that. With Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God. How about that? It doesn't get any better than that, does it? I will obey Him. The letter P. The Hebrews writer says that we are partakers of the heavenly calling. Chapter 3, verse number 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, the writer here was writing to the Christians, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him that appointed him. I get to partake of what heaven is like as God's child. As his child I have the peace that passeth all understanding given by God to protect me and guide me and lead me 
in a world that's cursed by sin. You don't see much optimism in this world anymore, do you? You see very little peace or contentment in this world anymore. But people who are children of God, partakers of that heavenly calling, we've got an eternal spirit with us. And God blesses us and strengthens every day of our life. We are joint partners with the Son of God. Think about that. Jesus took that last supper. His disciples, Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 29. He said with his disciples, I shall not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. I've been a Christian for more than 60 years. I've partaken of the Lord's Supper 36, 3700 times. I wonder what I was thinking about when I did all those, ti- all those times. Was I simply going through the motions? Or was I going back to the cross and thanking God for sending Jesus to give His body and His blood for my sins? Every time you partake of the Lord's Supper of our brothers and sisters in Christ, let us remember that and challenge ourselves. Christ is taking it with me. His mind goes back to Calvary and what he did and why he did it. Because he wants me, he wants you to be saved. The second P I want to look at. We have the powerful Word of God. Chapter 4, verse number 12. You know this verse. For the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. And it's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes all the way through. Piercing even to dividing a center of the soul and spirit, joints of the marrow. And it is a discerner, a judge of the thoughts and the intents of my heart. I need to appreciate the powerful Word of God. This is not just some book. This is the guide of my life. I've got a lot of books. You've got a lot of books. There's a lot of books in a lot of libraries. They all have value to some extent for the most part. But this book is better than every other book that's ever been conceived in the mind of man because it was conceived out of the heart and mind of God. That separates this book. It gives me all I need. If I follow God's book, I will never go astray. It will always lead me in the right direction. In this crazy, confused world of religion today, I want God's word only to lead and guard and direct my spiritual life and my physical life. I will not, yea, I cannot depend upon man's ideas Theologies and opinions to tell me how to live my life. If that were the case, God would not have wasted his time writing this book. I want us all every day to grow in appreciation more and more for what this book is. It is the spoken word of God. 
God never made a mistake. He never made a lie. He never made it questionable. He spells it out exactly the way he wants it done. I will let then God's word lead and direct my life. And three under the letter P, I want to go on to perfection. Chapter 6, verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, that doesn't mean giving up the word of God, that means following them, let us go on unto perfection. When you think of the word perfection, what do you think of? Perfectly right. It's complete. It's exact. It's not about this or maybe this or a little bit more or a little bit less. When you're in school and you take a test, if you make a hundred, you made a perfect score. Ninety-nine was real good, but it wasn't perfect. When you have God's Word, you have precisely carried out how many decimal places you want to get the right answer. It will always be perfect. We need to appreciate that. The Word of God is complete. It needs no additions or subtractions. Man in his foolish thinking, and I say that kindly but truthfully, when he changes the Word of God, he has adulterated it, made it less pure than what it was. You hear many theologians talking and writing books. Well, I think this, and my opinion is that, Folks, excuse me, but when it comes to God's Word, if I have an opinion that differs from God's Word, I am wrong. Period. At the end of that sentence. Case closed. God's Word is perfect. Therefore, I will strive my best to live a life of trueness to the Word of God. I will live a life that's holy and proper and correct. Whatever it takes in my life to do, I will do it because I have decided to follow Jesus. As the song says, no turning back. I'll follow Him because I know His Word is what I need. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14. He said, I price on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. He sacrificed his life one day at a time. Imprisoned, shipwrecked, beaten, all kinds of tortures and horrible things happening to him that have never happened to us and hopefully never will. But he's willing to give up all those things. You see, he could have been very prominent in the Jewish religion, but he was going to follow Christ more than anything else in all this world. That choice he made means so much to him and to Christ. And it means so much to us because he wrote 13 books in this New Testament by the inspiration of God so that you and I can come to a greater appreciation of who he was and what he did and that he was followed perfectly as well as he could the will of God in his life the prize, the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus let us focus our thoughts and our deeds on that very thought now the letter E we must take earnest heed of God's word Chapter 2, verse number 
Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have learned, heard, lest at any time we should slip from them. I've done, I've done a lot of reading in my life. Back in eighth and ninth high school, all those years, you had to read a book for a book report. I didn't enjoy that very much at all. Especially when it's a book, a sign that I didn't even want to read. But I read enough to get by to write out the report or take the test and make a good grade on it. Next day, it was gone. It didn't mean anything to me. I don't read God's Word that way. I read it earnestly. That's the challenge from the writer of the book. Put your heart into it. Put your soul into it. Put your mind into it. Okay, today I'm going to read, be followers of me, and if I'm following, what is open a verse? No. That's not earnestness, is it? Earnestness is digging down deep into your conscience and your heart and your soul and learning what the Word of God means and how I can make practical application of it in my life. And earnestness has the idea of greater degree. It's not just surface reading. It's following, understanding, and following through on it. The English Standard Version here says, pay much closer attention to the Word of God. For instance, if you're going in to brain surgery, the surgeon walks in, he says, well, I guess you've got a brain there, and I'm not real sure this is probably the first or second operation I'm going to do, but I'm going to take care of it for you. You can jump off a table real quickly, aren't you? When he walks in and makes that incision, he better know what he's doing. He might have the proper tools to do it and do it to the very best of his ability to perform it correctly. We understand that. Can we not understand that with the Word of God? Why would anyone, and I say this kindly, in his right mind, think that he could improve by changing, adding or subtracting from God's Word? Think about that. God's Word is the only book ever written. No human writing can compare it to it. It's from heaven. Every word is. Second E in our hope. We can exhort one another. Chapter 3, verse 13. 3, 13. But exhort one another while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We encourage one another. Remember when your little kid was about 10, 11 months old? He'd been crawling after I'd stand up. He tries to walk. And you encourage him. Come on, son, you can do it. Come on, daughter, you can do it. Put that step and on and on and on. And you're encouraging him every step they wake, aren't you? You're going to keep on practicing. You're going to keep on learning. And by the time they're three, you can't catch him. You did a lot of good encouragement, didn't you? And it showed, it proved itself. We need to encourage one another. We do it through our faithfulness, through our honesty and our integrity. We demonstrate it through our love, our hugs, our kisses, our tears, our willingness to help one another in any and all circumstances whatsoever they may be. We're a brotherhood, we're a family of God. And we want to exhort and encourage one another. That's why our assemblies together frequently are so valuable for each one of us. Thirdly, we have an enduring home in heaven. Chapter 10, verse 34. Chapter 10, verse number 34. 
The writer says, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joy fully the, spo- the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through, the song says. This world will come to an end someday. I'm looking for an enduring home that will never pass away. Heaven is forever. You've heard me say it. Think about heaven every day. And I cannot begin to tell you what heaven is going to be like. My mind is finite. I can't comprehend it. Neither can you. But can you imagine that day when you stand before God in judgment and He says, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I don't mean to be sacrilegious here, but you talk about a wow moment. Here in the presence of God, perfection, forever, peace and joy and tranquility, far beyond my comprehension. How wonderful that is. Turn with me to chapter 6, verse number 9. Chapter 6, verse number 9. Here the writer says, talking to those people who didn't have that much faith, but beloved, we have are persuaded better things of you and the things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of Faith and hope unto the end. What's the writer saying here? He's saying keep on keeping on. Not a one of us knows what tomorrow or next year will bring. Or however long we're going to live. Or what those circumstances and situations may be. But. We will endure forever in heaven. That makes life worth the living. As the song says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow, regardless of what Satan will give me. Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I will wholly, completely lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Now I'll close with one other verse. Chapter 5, verse number 9. 5-9. The writer here talking about Jesus. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Jesus died on Calvary's cross for your sins. If Adam and Eve had been the only two people in the world who ever lived, Jesus would have had to go to the cross. I'm glad that he waited till I got here. And I don't mean to be foolish by saying that. 
and all the billions of people who have lived before and may live afterwards, we don't know. But what matters is, Jesus Christ gave Himself for me. And in return, He asks that I give myself to Him. Now when I compare myself, or you compare yourself to this Holy Son of God, that's a chasm that can't be calculated, can it? His greatness, His perfection, my weakness and imperfection. But He loved me that much. He loved you that much. He wants you to be in heaven. If you're not yet a child of God, I know you want to be in heaven, don't you? Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of your sins. Confessing to yourself and to all the world that He is the Son of God. Be baptized in water, washing your sins away. Rising to live for Him the rest of your life. Or maybe you've done those things but wandered away. Jesus still wants you back home. He will receive you with open arms if you're willing to repent of those sins, confess them, and pray for forgiveness. If may assist you in doing that, let it be known by coming to the front as together we stand and sing the song.